This is an RNZ podcast. Our guest has had a lot of experience dealing with kids in the middle years, those tweens and early teens. Catherine Gray says girls in years 7 through 10 in particular have unique social, emotional and academic needs that are still largely undercated for in the New Zealand school system. These are also the years where children start stepping away from the large influence of parents and into that of their peer group, and these days social media influences. So what can middle years parents do to allow their children to explore these external influences while preserving and respecting their privacy. Catherine is head of middle school at St Margaret's College in Christchurch. She also recently received an honours award from the Independent Schools New Zealand for her services to middle school education. Kia ora Catherine, welcome to Nine to Noon. Kia ora, lovely to be able to be here actually. What are the unique social, emotional and academic needs of girls in these middle years from 11 to 15? Look, it's the most exciting time, but also can be the most challenging time. I think it's worth remembering that they these years are second only to infancy and in the amount of changes that our young people go through. They um, That immense changes is very, not only it's huge and happening physically, but it is also happening emotionally, and it's a really significant change. They become able to reproduce, they establish their identity, and um, perhaps that sort of commencement of their adult life and their adult thought is also what comes through at this time. Could you get a bit more specific about how this can impact on what they feel and how they behave, some of the forces at play? Yes, absolutely. I think um, this is the time when they go back to that sort of emotional kind of being instead of using that wonderful phrase I think therefore I am it's more about I feel therefore I am so a lot of their decision making is about how it feels at the time and um, not only is it that everything sort of is around that emotional stuff it's also that social need to connect and we know that our young people are connecting with each other more than a third of the time and with the significant adults in their life perhaps that, that connection drops down to a less than 8% of their time. So it, that the need to connect socially and therefore and the emotional needs is are really huge. How do you come at it then uh, as a, a carer in a way, an educator and a carer for these um, students at this age? And, and what have you learned? What advice do you have to share with others, particularly with parents? Well, I think it, the most important thing is to remember that even though they look like many adults, they're not many adults. They um, they really need to be cared for in this. In these four years, really, we need to think about these how special these four years are. We um, you don't want to bubble wrap them, but equally we want them to make sensible decisions, and, and that's a bit of an oxymoron in lots of ways because they need to be able to take risks. Young people need to be able to take risks. That's what we've brought them up to do. And so you hope really that the values that you've instilled in the younger years are going to come out and they're hopefully going to make some some good decisions. Look, they're going to get it wrong. They're teenagers, they're teenagers, they get it wrong. We've all got it wrong before. And I think we need to be really caring, remembering that, yeah, they're not going to be, we're not going to be perfect all the time. We, we as parents are not going to be perfect. They as young people are not going to be perfect. So we need to be able to ride that kind of journey together. One of my favourite analogies is about a river, really, and that they jump into the river. And um, sometimes that river, it's like whitewater rapids. Other times it's like you're spinning around in an eddy. And other times it's quite a calm, lovely day on the river. Um, but it always provides a challenge. 
what when you're looking at the positives of this, we all know we can deal with some interesting emotions and, and behaviours allied to this, but when you look at the positives, what is it that you're really wanting to try and bring out in a child this age or a young person this age that can, in fact, help balance some of the issues you're dealing with? Yeah. First and foremost, it's about relationships and having some really key people in, in their world that show them that they're valued, that love them when they're unlovable. Um, and look, I know this is hard. I'm a parent of two teenagers myself and um, I get it. Um, and, and it's the times when they say they don't need you is the time they actually do need you. So it's about being there for them, validating their feelings and um, and, and being a, a really, I don't know, being that sort of that cornerstone for them if you like but knowing when to step back as well and let them make those choices and make those decisions and um, my learning is always about not saying too much I tend to say too much and I have to learn when to actually just be quiet and let them talk something through um, so it, it is that's a real challenge and the other challenge I think for us too is also giving them enough space and um, Celia Lashley was one, is one of my favourite people that I've read a lot of her work. And she talks about a fence and having a fence around our young people. And whether that fence is six feet tall or whether it's electrified, um, it's about those boundaries and that we can renegotiate those boundaries with our young people. And there'll be times when we don't need to have those boundaries up quite so quite so high and we can let them have a little bit more room and a little bit more space to, to take risks and to become the person they are. The positives, they're starting to identify what they believe, who they are, their passions, what ignites them, what motivates them. And so it's a really interesting time. It's an interesting time. It's a challenging time. And as you say, it's that balance between keeping the boundaries we know all young people need, but let let them begin that process of pushing back against them. And this is what can be so hard um, for parenting is when the pushback starts coming, you start thinking, what happened to my lovely child? Well, actually, your lovely child is beginning to explore independence and make those first sort of ventures into exercising some adult muscles. How do we foster that in a positive way? Look, I think that um, that's how we, we allow them to be something bigger than themselves. So whether it's their thing is sport or whether they're into their, their arts, we let them to be, be big, making those decisions about whether they're still going to participate. You know, as young people, when they're small, that we keep them quite close to home. As parents, we make all those decisions for them. As they start to gain independence, they need to be making more decisions about who they spend their time with and what they choose to do with their time. And look, that is a huge challenge. Um, we would like to be able to control everything for them, but but we can't. And so we need to just let them make some decisions and let them decide what it is that they want, not what we want for them anymore, because they're starting to, as you say, push back. They're starting to um, exercise their sense of justice and their sense of the world around them. And we need to give them a safe environment in order to do that. And I think as educators, we need to let them um, let them solve some of the problems and let them explore some of the, the things that are out there that, and, and let them challenge our, our thinking as well, albeit very difficult to do. That's where it must be extremely challenging as a teacher, um, as an educator, when you've got a group and also for a parent and trying to get that fine line between the sort of group disciplines and respect and the one you need to hold and the authority you need to hold, but also let them begin to exercise this, to challenge you, to say, actually, I think differently from you, uh, or actually, um, you know, um, questioning some of the status quo or orthodoxies that have just been until they were this age, and now they're joining others and saying, hang on, this is wrong. 
How do you approach, again, maintaining the authority that a teacher needs to have, that a parent needs to have, but giving them the room to challenge some of what you're telling them? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a, it is. It's a really fine line, and um, they don't want us in in their in their world too much either. They want us to give them that that freedom. So it is. It's about I think letting them letting them explore, um, but also knowing that that fence is still there. Um, letting them challenge us, and and look, that is really challenging when they're telling us that the way we've operated for however long is uh, is not what they agree with. It is hard, and we do have to keep being ready to listen to them and validate what they're saying. These young people have, you know, they're living in this incredible world that we didn't live in. Um, the, the information that is surrounding them is, is far more than we ever had as young people. And so I think they also need to be able to share that information that they know and share what they're finding out because, you know, they do live in a bit of an information age, don't they? They can Google anything and they do tend to, you know, they Google how perhaps how they're feeling and, and health kind of issues whereas we might have gone, gone to a doctor. So it is about letting them explore that and do that and then having that conversation with us without imposing all of our thought onto them. Is encouraging a respect for the way the conversations happen or the interactions happen the key? Absolutely it is, and I, and I think it's very hard for us. as Probably as parents it's harder than as a teacher because as a teacher you've got a different sort of uh, you haven't got that emotional involvement, but yeah, as, as parents, we need to sit there and, and let them express, express what they've learned and let them tell us about what they've learned about without us going, yeah, well, I know that and I told you this. And yeah, it's giving them validation to what they're doing as well and letting them explore in a safe environment what they think. How do you come at the whole question of the online world and devices uh, and, you know, almost genetic now, as you said, in a generation, you know, we're not going back, but we owe it to them to understand how best to balance what is basically an embedded part of their lives and an addiction for most of us who approach it that way um, later in life, balance its benefits with its harms and, and how do you approach it? Yeah, look, that is a really huge part of our life today. Um, as, a, as a school, we made a deliberate decision about three years ago that we would be an island in time. So they walk through the school gates and they their phones go away and their phones don't come out. They're not visible during the day until, until 3.30. And the p- feedback we've had initially, they were not into that at all. They wanted their phones. They, their timetable was on their phone. It was their clock. It was everything. And um, as, as we have uh, sort of emerged them in that culture of, being an island of time away from their phone the benefits have been huge there's lots more interacting between each other and they actually would say themselves that they're actually it's a time when they don't have to check their notifications they can step away from that demand of that that buzzing and that that dinging and so look for parents I I would really strongly advocate that that phones out of the bedrooms you know phones phone downtime mealtime face-to-face talking to each other connecting is, is really important without that device we all know that the, the device has got some fantastic uses but it has got some potential to go wrong and I think again it's something we need to be thinking about how we can use it in a balanced way as you said and, and for us not having them during the school day is, is fantastic. It's helpful also for my next question which is it's such a part of the social interaction and connection mm. but it's under the radar um, and has it helped you manage issues with bullying, for example? Um, That's an awful example from a, a sister school I can think of that was reported on earlier this week. Um, mm. And 
again we know a risk around this age where that young brain is very focused on itself and not necessarily at full empathy load for others. Um, how have you come at that issue of bullying and have you found actually that getting the devices out of the way is helpful or does it just push things back to after hours? Fantastic question and look I'm, you know I'm, I'd be wouldn't be truthful if I said that we don't still have issues that that do spill over into the evening uh, I think everyone in this country has issues with with online behavior um, I guess there's a couple of things that I'd like to highlight there and one is it's not just our young people that are making mistakes on social media it's our adults that make mistakes on social media as well it's um, you know there's it's all of us actually it's a, it's a sorry a systemic problem um, and I think it comes back to our core values and how we treat other people and you know if we talk about to our stuck to our young people about how we treat other people in the real world that spills over into the to the digital world so we you know we're kind we, we think we is this is this a necessary thing for me to be engaged in and, and it is about having those conversations with with our young people about is this helping you and is it helping the situation to become resolved? And, and we know that socially, online, things can get out of hand very quickly. And so it's about thinking about how we can support that. Like I said earlier, you know, we they make mistakes online and we need to support them through that. And often they will realise and will come to it themselves. Um, we you take, you know, when we take trips away, camps and things like that, we don't have phones on those either. And again, it's another little moment in time when they don't have to be tied tied to it. You talk about drama cyclones, which I find a wonderful um, description of something everyone will recognise. And the question then again is, especially in this age group, when do you let them to sort it out themselves and when do you really feel a responsibility to step in? Yeah, I love that phrase. I can't claim it. I, I, it wasn't my own, but I did hear it somewhere and thought it was absolutely fantastic and very true about our teenagers. I think if it's a drama cyclone, often it will be over very quickly. Um, and so let the let your young person rant and rave but don't actually then solve the problem for them. Give them the time and the space because often we will find that um, it's whatever's top of mind is what's coming out in that drama cyclone. So some massive issue, by the time they've shared that issue, actually they've sorted a way to get through it themselves. We tend to, I think as parents, we tend to jump in and go, well, oh, that's not okay. I will jump in there and I will solve it for you. But I, we need to allow them the time because most of these drama cyclones um, will actually burn themselves out and they might not be friends today but they might be friends again tomorrow so give them the time and space to win, work it out and manage it as well. How important is that teacher-parent relationship and of course it's going to vary enormously from person to person and from school to school but how important is it in there being a team approach to a young person's life at this stage and what have you seen work well and what doesn't work well? Yeah, look, I think um, it does work best. You're absolutely right. It works best when the values align between the, the parents and the student and the school and when we can work together as that really key triangle and when we're, we see that we're all in it together. And I think when, when the parents are supporting the school and the school supporting the family, we can, you know, we can work wonders together as a team. And I think the students must believe that we're doing it for their best and that they're at the heart of that triangle, if you like. Um, I think a lot of the programs that we run in schools nowadays are, are, can, can really help that. And they're programs about, that are based on relationships. 
So everything, at the heart of everything we do has got to be that relationship. And when it works well, it's fantastic. And when it doesn't, then we need to think about how we can manage that triangle to make it work better. Because if the if we're saying something different to the parents or saying something different to the student, then we can get into a sort of a, a situation that becomes tricky. A couple of questions I'm going to ask you for a super succinct response to if you can. This is coming from listeners. Sure. Uh, what would you advise for an 11-year-old girl just started intermediate now having nightly panic attacks at her new school? She doesn't have any friends in her class but does have one at the school. Any advice? Poor girl. I feel sorry for her um, and, and for her family. It's a tough thing to go through. Give it time. Give it time. It's a change. We're in unprecedented times at the moment. You know, masks are not helping us, I have to say, in terms of making connections. So just give it a bit more time. And, and talk with the school and see what support st- structure they can put in place. And one more, uh, which speaks to this. How does this work when they're being isolated? I'm a carer for three teenage grandchildren. The COVID situation's made normal development different. Sports out, parties out, school out. They are again isolated because of a COVID contact at school. I know, it, it is really, really tricky. And I think that is where, the, going back to our sort of our social media platforms, actually there are ways we can connect. Um, we've been running some Google Meets for parents. We've been running some sessions for uh, some to, to help them feel connected. We've been trying to get outside, get the masks off and actually talk with our students when we can um, and when we're able to be together to really emphasise and really highlight what it is that we do together when we are together. Um, one thing it has shown us, though, is that school has to have that involvement of, of human connection and it's not about just being online and it all being fine. We don't want to be isolated as much as we can. We need to be able to be together. Thanks very much, Catherine Gray.